There's something uh, for me that's just really wonderful about remembering baptism and entering the waters of baptism, be it as an infant um, or the many students I baptized over the years, adults, and there's just something that, uh, I don't know, there's just something amazing about celebrating new life in Christ, uh, celebrating those who have made decisions to follow Jesus, those who have made decisions to do their best that they can, as flawed as we all are, to raise our kids uh, that they might love Jesus forever. And I just was uh, reflecting on that as we're singing these, this amazing song that our team wrote. And again, uh, sometimes I, I feel like Jay is too humble to, uh, you know, really, you know, like, hey, we wrote this song, y'all. Like, they wrote that? And I don't know. I, maybe I'm just, like, really impressed. Um, I don't know. It's impressive to me, and I, I just think uh, it's an amazing thing to see what God is up to uh, in and through the, the people of this church and the volunteers who have been involved in the worship leading and all the people who make everything happen. And just kind of one of those warm, fuzzy moments for me this morning. So there you go. That's, that's, it. that's that. So the text this morning was read <laughs> earlier. Great transition, right, to the sermon. Um, the text this morning was read, and what's so fascinating to me, if you, if you caught it in Matthew chapter 1 there, Matthew chapter 1, this is Matthew's version of the Christmas story. And it's a strange version of the Christmas story because we don't have the angel coming to Mary. We don't have shepherds. We don't have all of that stuff. All we have is Joseph. Joseph. And I got to tell you, there's not a lot of space in most Christmas pageants and most tellings of the Christmas story for Joseph. I mean, Joseph is just this kind of guy on the side who just gets to kind of come along for the ride. But Matthew's gospel, lest we miss it, highlights Joseph. And I think it's very fitting, as I looked at it this week, it's very fitting for the season of Advent leading up to Christmas to look at somebody like Joseph because Joseph has a dilemma here. He's got a dilemma. He's not in a position that any one of us would ever want to be in, if we're honest. And so I don't want to just kind of put the, the uh, what is it, sprinkle some tinsel on the Christmas story and clean it up. I want to give us kind of the rawness of Joseph as we consider leading up to Christmas. Now next week we're going to look at Mary, and the week after that we're going to look at the shepherds. All of these uh, Sundays in Advent, we're looking at angels coming and intervening in the Christmas story, the way that God intervenes in human history. That's what it's all leading up to, and it was happening even before the Christ child was born. So let's look at Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. So Joseph, uh, what's interesting about this is I, I uh, was struggling to find images of Joseph. And so if you just look up like St. Joseph, you have to decipher between um, Joseph of the Old Testament, even Joseph of, of Arimathea, and even Joseph of like recent Josephs, that I don't even know who those Josephs are, who have been uh, canonized as saints in the church. But the, the clear way to know that you're looking at Joseph is he has a baby with him. It's like the only way they depict Joseph is that he has a baby with him. Joseph, the father of Jesus. So you have in uh, ancient art, Joseph, the father of Jesus. Whoops, I skipped ahead too far. You have, uh, you have here in uh, iconography, Joseph, the father of Jesus. He always has the baby with him. Or there's another way he's represented, which I did not know this about Joseph, but he's Joseph, the worker, Joseph, the artisan. So you'll see him with, uh, with kind of craftsmanship tools, that kind of a thing. Even in uh, ancient art, Joseph working with his son, Joseph and Jesus. You always see it this way. But what do we know about Joseph? 
And the answer to that question is not much. Joseph all but disappears from the scene after the Christmas story. We hear nothing else about Joseph after the Christmas story. It's very interesting. So it's caused people uh, to come up with all kinds of things. Was Joseph so much older? Actually, I didn't choose any of these images. But there's a lot of images where Joseph has a big, long, white beard and gray hair. And so the assumption is Joseph may have been quite a bit older than Mary. And that, and that actually could have been fine with the way that things were done uh, at this period in first, the first century. Is that uh, a man would wait until he was established as a craftsman, as a tradesman. He would learn the family business. And then he would marry quite a younger woman. Because at this time, culturally, for women, it was about having babies and having family. And so once a woman was able to do that, she was able to be married. So the guys would wait a little bit longer than they'd marry a younger woman. This was an interesting kind of, uh, kind of first century thing. So some people believe maybe he was quite a bit older, so much older that he passed away before we hear about Joseph's interaction in Jesus' ministry. That's why we don't hear much about Joseph. But this morning I want to focus on just this little piece that we have about Joseph in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Because this is Matthew's Christmas story. This is Matthew's Christmas story. This is what we have. So in Matthew's Christmas story, it begins with, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. This is how it all went down, Matthew says. This is how the good news entered the world. The Messiah came. And this is how it happened, he says. This is how it's happened. He says that uh, his mother Mary was pledged to Joseph. Now we need to step back for a moment again to understand uh, as best we can what was going on in the first century. When it says his mother Mary was pledged, betrothed, engaged, whatever the language of your text has, pledged, betrothed, engaged, promised, you need to understand that this is not like, and forgive me for using this as an example, this is not like engagements that happen at the end of The Bachelor. Now some of you don't know what this show is, so you're lucky, but for those of us that do know what this show is, you know, so at the end of this show, so the whole idea, the whole premise of this show is people are dating, and there's one person who's the bachelor or the bachelorette, and there's, you know, like a harem of people who are interested in this person. They're doing everything they can to seek an engagement and get married. Hallelujah! Sort of. It's kind of a weird show. But what happens oftentimes at the end, because I confess I watch the show, at the end what happens is they get to this moment where somebody's going to, to ask somebody to marry them and it's going to be amazing because this is what it's all going towards. And what often happens is somebody gets down and they, they shed tears. They're like, I just have loved you over these last three weeks. I've come to know that you're the one. <laughs> and then engagement on this show means we'll see if we're going to get married. Like, yeah, we'll do this thing. Yeah, we can get engaged, but we'll see. That's like, now engagement is actually the dating part. On this show. And so I, I just bring that up because culturally I think that that's how we kind of understand engagement. There's even been arguments on this show where one person is like, listen, if we get engaged, we're going to get married. That's the way this works. And other people are like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. You're like, what? In what world are you living in? Apparently this one, where people now are like, eh, engagement is the process by which you discern whether or not you will go through with this. But that's not what's happening in the first century. In the first century, if you are engaged, you are all but married. It, you're together, you're hands off to anyone else. 
Well, all the differences here is that they have not started living together. But they have been promised, you know, whether this was an arranged thing, mom and dad hooked this up, they put it together, however that happened in first century, which is a possibility, they are together, they are joined, there is no separating this. That's why Joseph is in a dilemma. Because this is his wife. Though they have not yet started living together, though they have not yet consummated the marriage, this is legally his wife. This is his wife. And so the next part we read about, the next part we read about, we hear that Mary is pregnant. And now Joseph has a dilemma. And what's fascinating in in the Matthew's account is because we know nothing of Mary, we don't hear anything about angels talking to Mary. We we could assume, we we could just reading Matthew, if all we had was Matthew, we could assume Joseph knows nothing about the angel visiting Mary. And if you try to connect the text in Luke's text, what's fascinating is when, and we'll look at this next week, when Mary, it's, something, it's, it's skipped over in the Christmas story often. Uh, it was probably a little bit mentioned last week with Zechariah and Elizabeth. When Mary hears she is pregnant, she goes to Elizabeth and is there for three months. So now imagine Mary comes back you know anything about the way babies grow? She comes back three months later to this small fishbowl of a community where she's engaged to be married to this guy, Joseph, and she's showing. And people start to talk. First off, she hasn't been there for three months, so how did this happen? And so people start to talk. People start to say things. People start to say, Joseph, are are you picking up what's going on here, Joseph? Do you see what's going on? And Joseph, he has, not, he has not heard any word from the angels yet. He's not aware of what God is up to. From Joseph's perspective, he's been cheated on. What a crazy Christmas story. Why is this not in our Christmas pageants? Where Joseph, you have a prepubescent boy playing Joseph who walks to the side of the stage and he has this internal monologue, this Shakespearean soliloquy where he's, oh my gosh, what will I do? You know, the lights go down on the rest of the Christmas cast and Joseph is on the side of the stage with the spotlight on him and he's wondering, what should he do? Because he's been wronged, it appears. He's been wronged. Joseph is apparently, what Matthew tells us, a man of faith. He's somebody who has lived according to the law. He's played it by the rules. He's a righteous man in the community. His reputation is at stake. And so the decision that he's going to make, what he chooses to do, and, and frankly, the ball is in his court here, right? The ball is in his court. It looks as though he has done nothing wrong, but his wife-to-be has definitely done something wrong. So the ball is in his court, and the decision he is going to make has serious ramifications, especially for Mary. See, especially for Mary, because what Joseph does next will impact her greatly. He has a choice. He can play it by the law. He can expose her publicly and say, yeah, that's not my kid. I didn't do this. I am a man of faith. I am a man of integrity. That is not my child. 
He could do that. He has every right to do that. He has every right, if he wants to play it by the book, to say, not my kid, not my wife, she's done. And I say it has serious ramifications for Mary because now Mary, what is a young woman who's pregnant and now going to have a bastard child? I mean, let's, we don't like that word, but that's the truth of the matter here. And in that culture, it would have just been exponentially awful for somebody to be in this situation. Would it mean that she's cast out from her family? Would it mean that she's cast out from the synagogue, from her faith community? What would it mean for her? Would anybody come alongside of her and say, it's going to be okay, Mary? Probably not. Probably not. And so if Joseph wants to be hardcore, if he really wants to see her suffer for what she has done to him, he has every right to cast her out and say, see what she did? See what she did to me? He has a serious dilemma here. You know, actually in that culture, and, and sometimes we brush over this, actually in this culture, because I've been at youth talks where they talk about, oh, Mary, and she could have gotten in some trouble. Technically speaking, if they wanted to go by the letter of the law, Mary could have been stoned. She could have been stoned to death now, there's enough evidence that they didn't follow through on that all the time, but they could have, had they wanted to, stone her to death. So there are serious ramifications to what is going on here in the Christmas story. Isn't this just the wonderful part of the Christmas story? Right? That's why I say this is what's going on when we dig below the surface and we sit with some of the awkwardness of the Christmas story. It made me think from Joseph's perspective, as you think about his dilemma, as you try to put yourself in his shoes, it made me think, have you ever been wronged? Have you ever been wronged and, and you wanted justice? You wanted some recompense for what you had suffered? Have you ever wanted somebody else to be punished? Maybe it didn't even happen to you, but maybe you see a news report and you go, somebody needs to punish that person for what they did. Have you ever felt that kind of, can you imagine maybe Joseph being in that place of, oh, for what good thing am I being persecuted? I've lived a moral life. I've lived an upright life. Now everything is pointing towards this wonderful moment where we'll start a family together. Everything is finally coming together and this happens? That's where Joseph sits. And it's an awkward Christmas story. It's an awkward Christmas story. I was imagining again that uh, that prepubescent kid on stage, and just I, I try to, I try not to do this too much, but I get into this kind of psychoanalyzing people. Sorry, if you've been the brunt of that. Um, I think it's kind of fun personally, but I was trying to kind of do this with Joseph, this like internal monologue, you know, where Joseph is like, Mary. Are you serious right now? Who is the father? I'm going to kill him. Or maybe he felt like, Mary, I'm going to kill you. I don't know. I mean, how angry would you be? Maybe he's uh, oscillating between that and, what did I do to deserve this? Did I not pay enough attention to you, Mary? Was I not serious enough when we were talking about the decorations we'd put in our home and I didn't listen? And so you did this to me? I don't know what first century was like. I don't know if they had HGTV or not, but hey. <laughs> Did he neglect her? Did he do something wrong? 
And then I wonder when his faith conscious comes in. I mean, this is a man of profound, deep faith. What does he start to wrestle with with his faith? Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, imagine his prayers, just heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching prayers to God of, what do you want me to do, Lord? I'm a man of faith. I know the right thing to do. I know that I've been wronged. I know what this could mean for her. What should I do? Can you imagine thinking about letting it slide? Maybe I'll just let it slide. Maybe we can just figure this out. Oh, but what will people say then? I'm soft on sin. We hear that thrown around today when too much grace is offered. Oh, he's just soft on sin. You don't want to be that person. It's just a slippery slope, Joseph. You let this one slide, what else will she do? What kind of things would his peers, his family members, the community be saying to Joseph? What does that do to his faith, this internal struggle that he's going through? And again, picture the prepubescent teen on stage given this role of Joseph. It's an awkward Christmas story. It's an awkward Christmas story. But the story continues, and it seems in the midst of Joseph's internal wrestling, in the midst of him trying to make a decision, and we don't know how much time has passed. That sometimes is a difficult thing of interpreting the Scriptures, is that we don't know how much time has passed. It's an interesting thing when we get to the, uh, the wise men. There's all this debate over the wise men because in Matthew's Gospel, we have this story. This is all we have. It says, then the baby was born. It's over. And then all of a sudden it says, after Jesus was born, some wise men came from the east. So nobody knows, did the wise men come like a year later, two years later, or did they immediately come? So it's, it's kind of awkward interpreting the Bible when we don't know exactly how the time was and we try to conflate all the other stories and it sometimes makes it even messier. So in this story, we don't know when Mary started showing Maybe she comes back from Elizabeth's house and everybody starts talking in the community and then Joseph has this dilemma start to come to him and these internal monologues and then he's visited finally by an angel, a messenger from the Lord. So we don't know the time frame. But in the midst, somewhere in the midst of Joseph's wrestling, an angel comes, comes to him in a dream comes to him in a dream, and the, ba- and the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God intervenes in a dream. Before Joseph makes a decision, before Joseph makes the call of what he's going to do. And it appears as though Joseph has decided at some point, he has decided, the text says, to divorce her quietly, to send her away quietly, not to expose her to public shame. What a guy with deep humility, deep compassion. But in the moment where he was going to have to decide, he was going to have to go through with this, make this whole thing public and say, this is what I have decided. The angel comes, God intervenes and says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What what is it that Joseph has to fear? I started asking myself that question. We're doing this series called Fear Not. where We looked last week at Zechariah and Zechariah, he'd been hoping for a child. For years, he and Elizabeth, 
And God says, fear not, your prayers have been answered. Here, Joseph is told, fear not. What does he have to fear? He has everything to fear. All that we've talked about, the internal struggle, uh, his reputation in the community, his faith, his faith in God, his faith in future relationships. He has to fear what might happen to Mary, who he's come to love. He has so much to be afraid of, and God intervenes. Fear not, fear not, for this baby that's in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. Whoa, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? When God intervenes in an already extremely messy situation and asks you to do something that by the letter of the law, seems wrong. This is a weird story. I I think sometimes we've glossed over it, like, oh, well, as long as God comes in and says, it's okay, then it was all okay. It was all cheery, and everybody was fine in the community. But there's something going on underneath where Joseph, still in taking Mary as his wife with all the talk, all the stuff in the community, who's going to believe this story, mind you? So you just took her back? Well, God told me in a dream. Sure he did. Sure he did, Joseph. Right? If a friend came to you and they were about to do something like this, something that seems just black and white, sinful as all get out, what are you doing? And they're like, well, God told me it's all good. Come on. Are you just like, okay, that's cool. What do you do? It's an awkward Christmas story. Joseph's dilemma, it seems to me, doesn't end with this angelic visit. It just doesn't end. See, Joseph's struggle, what I wanted to press into as we kind of move to a conclusion here this morning, I want to press into Joseph's faith struggle. His faith struggle. Not his reputation so much, but his faith. Because I think we are all faced with moments like this. Maybe not this big of a moment where you're talking about someone potentially having cheated on you, a spouse, a spouse-to-be, maybe nothing that big. But there's these moments where where it seems like there is a faith crisis or a decision that has to be made and, and judgment needs to be made and it seems like it's pretty clear what needs to happen and yet for some reason some gray enters into the black and white and you have these struggles with God and we have these 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 conversations, these knockdown dragouts with God. Have you ever had a knockdown dragout with God? I've had some. I'm not that old and I've had quite a few knockdown dragouts with God. About are you serious right now, God? Is this really the way this is going? We thought at, uh, at three months, we thought that we were, uh, Erico, our, our youngest, is adopted and we, uh, we thought we were going to lose him at three months. Not his life, but we thought that he was going to go to another family. And I had some knockdown dragouts with God about that. Why, God, did you even put him in our family? Why did you allow us to love him? Why would you do this to us? I've had knockdown dragouts with students who have, who have come to me confessing things they're doing in their life and trying to figure out how they can turn their lives around. Students who have been suicidal, students who have made tons of mistakes sexually with their purity, students who have made tons of mistakes uh, with partying and other things, and students who, who just didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives and adults alike and had these conversations and you end up at these knockdown dragouts with God. How, 
how, God, do you let this happen to these people I love? I imagine that's where Joseph was at. Why me, God? And Joseph is in this place where we all know where obedience matters and following God's law, following the commandments matters. And it seems real black and white what to do and and what to tell somebody in this moment and how to counsel them. And yet at this moment, some gray has entered in, like I said before. Some gray has entered in because God seems to be moving your heart in a different direction. And maybe you've been in that moment and it feels a little awkward for you and you feel like you're in a dilemma and a little bit of a crisis yourself. And what will this mean for my faith, God? What will this mean for my relationships? What will people say about me if I choose to believe or do this or treat this person this way when everybody else is saying, don't you dare do that. Cast them out. We're done with them. And you're looking for a little bit more grace. It's a dilemma I think most of us can relate to. Now, in pastoral ministry, as I said, I've dealt with a lot of this, and there is black and white. There's things where if somebody's going to harm themselves, engaging in destructive behavior, it's just black and white. It's just black and white. There's a lot of pastoral things, a lot of things in relationships and life that are just black and white. And we know that if someone does this thing, it will lead them down a path of destruction and intervention is necessary. But there's other times, like I said, other times where there's some gray. Because it feels like dropping the hammer of justice, dropping the hammer of judgment, dropping the hammer of the black and white will all but dissolve the relationship. And this is the real touchy part. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe you have with a child, especially those of you raising adult children. I don't know how many parents, grandparents over the years I've talked to raising adult children who are concerned about the faith of their children, the decisions that their children have made, and and they know that some of the things their children are doing or their grandchildren are doing are taking them down a path that might lead them away from the Lord. It's not necessarily destructive, but it's leading them away. And you want to lay the hammer down and just say, can't you see it? You're going the wrong way. But you, you want the relationship. You don't want to dissolve the relationship. And even more importantly, you don't want to dissolve the relationship that might just be hanging on by a thread between that person and the Lord. And so you just are in that gray moment of what do I do? How can my words speak truth? Truth that leads to formation. Truth that leads to healing. Truth that maintains the relationship. Those are those moments I believe where Joseph is at here, he's at a a crossroads. He has a dilemma. And what will he do? But God intervenes. God intervenes. And somewhere, somewhere inside of Joseph, he has the courage and the willingness to listen to the Lord. And this is where, uh, I said I was psychoanalyzing Joseph about some other stuff, but this is where I really got to psychoanalyzing Joseph. Because I really wanted to know what would make someone believe that the dream they had, the vision they had, was actually from the Lord. What would, it ma- what, what would it take? What kind of attitude, what kind of demeanor, what kind of character does Joseph have that allows him, this man of deep faith, who knows black and white, right and wrong, knows what he should do, 
What is it about his character? A, a peace that he has that won't allow him to get anxious, doesn't allow him to get jealous. Ooh, jealousy. A situation like this, jealousy, oh my goodness, would jealousy not just, for me, that's where I would go right away. Like, uh-uh, game over. You did this, done. Had enough. But what is it about Joseph that he hears in a dream a word from the Lord saying, don't be afraid. And he believes that that word is from God and believes that now somehow he is caught up in a bigger story that God is writing about the salvation of all people. What is it about Joseph? What is it about Joseph? Again, Joseph, he, he doesn't get this joyful announcement from an angel that says, hey, Mary's having it, like right away, he doesn't hear it, he's not part of that. See, Joseph's announcement where it turns to joy and turns to, oh, I see what God is up to, only comes after the heartbreak. I, th I think all of us can relate to that as well. Of in a moment feeling like it's just gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching, terrible, terrible news that's happening. And maybe sometime later, God intervenes, God gives you a word, something happens, something breaks in, and you go, oh, that's what God was up to. I think we can all experience that, but I wonder for us, how do you get to that place of being open to receive that word? To being open to hearing from the Lord? Even in a moment that is heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, heart-breaking like this. And so Joseph digs down deep into that well of faith, and he believes God. And he takes Mary in, and he rejects being motivated by fear of all these voices, these external voices. I think that's one of the most powerful phrases in all of the Bible, Fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear is an awesome and terrible motivator. It's awesome because it's powerful. Make somebody afraid, make them afraid enough, and you can get them to do all kinds of things if they fear for their life, fear for their safety, fear, fear for their security. You can get them to do all kinds of things. We see fear being used in politics. We see fear being used uh, in, in the way that uh, coaches interact with kids. Fear is used. Take away your playing time. Take away this opportunity. Fear can be a powerful and terrible motivator because it makes us make decisions based on comfort, security, a feeling of loss, not decisions that allow us to step into the messiness and say, Fear not. God is with me. It's going to be okay. Fear not. See, Matthew's Christmas story, it is a bit strange, but it's packed with what I believe we need to hear in this season of Advent, this season of waiting. Fear not. Wherever you find yourself, if you can relate to Joseph or not, if you've been in these moments where you have a dilemma and you're wondering, what should I do? You know the black and white, but you feel like there's so much gray. And you're wondering, what should I do? What will this mean for my faith? What will this mean for my relationships? Fear not. God is constantly making things 
new. Constantly making things new. God is saving the world. That's why we gather and celebrate Christmas, because we believe that God began a rescue plan. And it's continuing, and God will come again. And we wait for that. So fear not. We know that the rescue plan is in effect, and we have the opportunity to participate in the plan. Fear not. Might we be open, like Joseph, to hearing from the Lord? Might we have the courage to step into the messiest of situations, bringing the love and grace of God into those situations that we might see people saved in Jesus' name? The announcement here to Joseph was that you get to be a part, in all of this messiness, Joseph, you get to be a part of a beautiful thing where God is saving the world and we get to be a part of it too. So fear not. Fear not. May this awkward Christmas story encourage us to be open to places God might call us, might call you. Places that are messy but full of grace and full of opportunity to participate in God's mission of saving the world. Would you pray with me? God, we try to put our, our, ourselves in the footsteps, the shoes of Joseph. We thank you for this story. As tough as this particular Christmas story is, as strange as it is, we are thankful that it's there. That we get this glimpse into Joseph, his his wrestling, his struggling with what to do as a man of faith, God. Lord, for those of us in this room uh, that consider ourselves people of deep faith who want to make decisions based on our faith, based on who you've called us to be, how you've called us to live, God, we know that we too have been placed in these situations that are difficult and messy and a decision needs to be made and relationships hang in the balance and God, sometimes our relationship with you seems to hang in the balance. God, we would ask that in the way you intervened in Joseph's life, you would intervene in ours as well. God, we know that you are always trying to intervene in our lives. You are always trying to get our attention to speak to us. So give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear and then by the power of your Holy Spirit, Give us courage to step into these messy situations. God, we want to partner with you in this Christmas season, this season of Advent. We want to partner with you to see people hear the good news and respond that we might all rejoice. Rejoice, God, that people are seeing what you're up to and finding salvation in Jesus. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.